This episode of the Expat Cast is brought to you by Comfort Eats. If you recognize the name Comfort Eats, that might be because one of the founders, Reina, was on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago with the episode, The First Female in the Family to Move Abroad. We fully bonded over our mutual love of snacks and specifically Cheetos Puffs. So I basically immediately went on their website and placed an order. I loved everything about the company so much that we decided to partner. Comfort Eats is a small business run by two incredible women. They ship American snacks to expats living all around the world to provide a sense of comfort and joy. They've already shipped to over 30 countries and counting. How it works is they have an online shop where you can scroll through pages and pages in all these different categories of American snacks, load up your cart, and then check out. Then they ship them to you really, really quickly. I said I got on there looking for Cheetos Puffs. I found those as well as several other things that I just had to have. The day after I placed my order, I got a notification that my shipment was on its way. In Germany, you can get peanut butter, but not really good ones and not the brands I know and love. So I've just gotten so adjusted to having to settle for mediocre peanut butter. And it's crazy to me that I can just go on a website, place an order for my favorite Skippy Creamy and and poof, it's on its way to me. So I cannot wait for it to get here. I'll keep you guys posted how it goes. And until then, I encourage you guys to check them out for yourselves. Once again, they're called Comfort Eats. And you can check out their online shop for yourself at ComfortEatsDelivery.com. Welcome to the Expat Cast. This is a podcast where expats share their stories about fitting in, standing out, and every mishap on the journey to finding home abroad. I'm your host, Nicole. One of my very favorite things about doing this podcast is that it connects me to so many cool and interesting people that I otherwise wouldn't encounter. So actually last summer, when we were allowed to travel within Germany and Corona was not so threatening, I did a little Germany tour and I bopped around to a bunch of different cities that I hadn't been to. Because honestly, before last summer, I'd never been more north in Germany than Frankfurt, which for people who don't know German geography, that's like, that's not very far north at all. I ended up going to Cologne and Berlin and Nuremberg. And along the way, I stopped and visited friends, but I also got to meet up with some of the people that I know from the podcast. And Nuremberg was a big stop on that journey because for whatever reason, there is a huge cluster of what I call my internet friends. So people that I know through the podcast, through Instagram, what have you, that are all in Nuremberg. And it was really, really cool to not just meet them, but also bring them together. Because although I knew all of them, they didn't actually know each other. So just felt like this expat community is just so big and so welcoming. And there's so many wonderful, interesting people to meet and encounter. This episode is a direct outcome of that. So I interviewed Summer, who lives in Nuremberg, way back in season one or two of the podcast. You might know her online as Summer Outside. Well, she connected me with one of her friends to do an episode about what it's like dating in Germany. You might remember that episode from season four that I did with Justin. And now Justin connected me with yet another wonderful expat, Today's guest, Claudio. Claudio lives in Nuremberg and he's from Italy, though he's lived several different places. And this is just one of the coolest things with expat friends. You have so much to talk about right from the get-go because you have this shared experience of moving to this new place. Even if you're from different places, even if you've had totally different life experiences, you can always find a lot to talk about. And that's definitely been the case with Claudio. I'm so excited to have gotten to meet him at least digitally because sadly this connection happened right around the time when travel stopped being possible or safe. So with that, let's hear it from Claudio himself. Let's hear how he finds Italy everywhere he goes, everywhere he lives. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
So my name is Claudio Cordi. I am from Italy next to Lake of Como in a very, very, very small town called Monguzzo. There's only like cows and, uh, and sheep, so very, very small town. And right now I live in Nuremberg in Germany. I've lived here. I just celebrated two years uh, on the 1st of October. I call that your Gedeutschtag. It's your Geburtstag, but with Deutsch. So it's your Gedeutschtag. So happy Gedeutschtag. <laughs> Is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, I'm really trying to make it a thing. It's my personal fetch. Sometimes people grab onto it and pause. A lot of Germans tell me it's grammatically cringeworthy and they don't like it, but I don't care. I think it's funny. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> your second Gedeutschtag. Nice. So I want to start out by hearing more about this lovely, idyllic sounding little place in Italy that you're from. I think when people hear the word Italy, a lot of people across the globe have something in mind what that means to them or what they think that means. But what does Italy mean to you? Italy is home. Obviously, the heritage, the culture and everything that has built a little bit of my character comes from there. The Monguzzo being like a 2,000, 2,200 people population little town. It's obviously very, very tiny. And when you go there, every time I go there, I, I kid you not, Wi-Fi is still a big struggle and not really like the predominant technology, but it's a great way to zone out. You're in the middle of the mountains. It's a, it's a big outdoor area. I always love to go there to sort of refresh. It's close to Switzerland. It's, as I said, Italy for me is, uh, is home. But you left home, it sounds like multiple times, right? So let's start marching our way through all your different moves, all your, your history of geography. So what was the first place that you moved to outside of Italy? You might laugh, but this is the, the funny joke. I was actually not born in Italy. I was born, <gasps> in, I was born in Oxford, UK, and I lived there for two months. So I was two months old when I moved back to Italy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was born in Oxford and I moved, we moved to Italy in Monguzzo for a few years. And then I moved to Brussels, which is where I grew up most of my life. In Brussels, I did high school. I did every single school you had to do until just before university. And a lot of people love to sort of say, but then you're not really Italian. You're, you're from Brussels. But the, the interesting insight behind this is that Brussels, if you split it into what is it cat categorized by, what is the demography, Italians or the Italian community is a pretty big chunk. And if you just look outside and if you look up in the sky and you look at the weather, then you realize you're in Brussels. But for the rest, I never felt like I was far away from Italy for the life that I created around me. Were you hanging out with Italian people? Were you like living in an Italian neighborhood? I, I was hanging out definitely with Italian people. I did uh, the European School of Brussels where uh, it's segmented with different nationalities. And I was following my courses, following the Italian guidelines in the Italian language. So teachers were Italian. My colleagues were Italians. And that's why I never really felt like I was outside of Italy. And then, uh, you know, you come home, you have your parents cooking Italian, you have this Italian supermarket, you have really everything. And that's why I was saying, like, of course, Italy is home and where my heritage and culture comes from, but I brought it with me and everywhere I was, it was still keeping me alive. So yeah, I grew up in Brussels, but I was still surrounded by the Italian vibe. That's really cool. And was it people from different parts of Italy too? Because of course, in every country, there is no single culture, but rather a bunch of regional nuances and things like that. So did you get to experience other people's Italy as well? Uh, absolutely. There was, uh, it was highly versatile with where, where we all came from. There was people from Rome, there was people from Bari, there was people, and I'm saying names. So Bari is obviously in the South, Rome is the center, uh, people from Milan, uh, which is closer to where I'm from. And you know, when I speak in Italian, I 
I don't really have an accent, but if I had to, if somebody had to guess where I would be from, they would always say Rome because I was surrounded by more people from Rome. But I'm not even from Rome myself, but my accent ha- was built based on who I was surrounded with. You were in Brussels until college aged, you said. And then where did you go next? I moved to the Netherlands to uh, Rotterdam, the, the biggest port of Europe, uh, big international city. That's probably where my Italian accent got itself eradicated a little bit. And I started studying in English as well, which was a big shift. Every day I was studying in English, reading in English, talking in English. And then I was obviously also surrounded by people talking in Dutch, but I could also the, net, the Dutch people speak English very well. So that allowed me to really excel in my English, <laughs> which probably explains why my accent is eradicated. What were you speaking in Belgium? Generally French or, or English, but obviously my English was very... Hey, I'm Claudio. How are you doing? Yeah, of course. No problem. (laughs) And when you were in Rotterdam, how did you find Italy there? I started working for an Italian restaurant called Osteria Sala Federico. So this restaurant was opened a little bit after and it was partnered with this Italian shop called La Vita Bella. But the interesting story is how did that start? I was looking for a place to get a haircut and uh, I am very, very peculiar when it comes to people touching my hair. For some reason, I found the studio. I was like, I don't mind. It looked like it was 30 euros per haircut, which for a man, it looks abnormal. I was like, how where would you pay 30 euros when you can play 10? <laughs> but for me, it was like, it needs to be the great experience. And when I went to the store, it's like, oh, we have this Italian girl that can cut for you, Linda. I was like, oh, she's from Sicily. I was like, okay, well, I wouldn't mind because then I can speak in my own language and tell her that why I don't like people touching my hair rather than telling a Dutch girl was cutting my hair and then she'll tell it in Dutch to all her colleagues and I'm like the idiot that doesn't understand this. <laughs> so <laughs> I went there and she started cutting my hair. We created a good relationship and her husband at the time owned this shop, La Vita Bella. And uh, she told me you should totally go there. And when I went there, we became good friends with the owner and he was talking to me that he was opening the restaurant, the Osteria Sala Federia, which is an Osteria. I worked part-time there once he opened and that's how I was going there and I built a family. So all the people that worked, the staff were all Italian. I learned so much about cooking. I learned so much about serving, about the experience I need to create to make people know that when they enter there, it's like stepping foot in Sicily and you forget for a second that you're in the Netherlands. And that's exactly how I felt. I was going inside, maybe even when I didn't work, it was 7 p.m. I knew that I would get my free dinner, my limoncello shot at the end. And then we'd go with the, the Italian crew and we'd go to somewhere to, to, to Gala or, or whatnot, or we'd go out and have a few drinks. So that's where my little Italy was kind of created. Sounds so delightful. It also sounds like a great dining experience for anyone, but especially for you. It wasn't just that. It was so much more. Absolutely. It was a family. That's the heritage I take from Rotterdam. Every time I go back, if I'm in Rotterdam, she's my haircut person. And I'm the babysitter for for a child if needed, uh, although he's growing up. So the last time I was in Rotterdam was last year in September. We popped by for a quick birthday uh, celebration of a friend of mine and uh, the owner, Pepe. was like, ah, Claudio, you're here. Come over. I'll give limoncello shots for all of your friends and uh, we will have a, a laugh. It was great. And you, did you work there the whole time you lived in Rotterdam? No, as I said, it was part time. I met Pepe in 2013. So I, st- I moved to Rotterdam September 2012. And uh, 2013, I met him and he opened the restaurant early 2015. And that's when I started working for a year and a half. And after that, we just kept a great relationship. Okay. And then where were you off to next after Rotterdam? I moved to Amsterdam. And in Amsterdam, similar experience, uh, but I was still 
sort of navigating at the time I was in a relationship with a girl in Rotterdam and I was still navigating up and down. So for me, the Netherlands and my little Italy was created in Rotterdam. But in Amsterdam, of course, there's a lot of places where, and a lot of Italians. Uh, so I really refelt the community being built there. And at the time I was working for the competitor of the company that I work for right now, Nike. The, so yeah, there was a lot of Italians at Nike and I created that community for myself. And there was a lot more that I discovered in Amsterdam. And it was a very short time. I was there eight months. I can't really say that I could replicate the same experience as I did in Rotterdam. But because Rotterdam was a city that was very much part of my life, I still felt the Italian vibe there. And right after I moved to Brussels, as I was telling you, for one year master, I quit my job at Nike, moved to Brussels to sort of take a step back and study again. So Brussels was obviously familiarity, kind of, you know, back to mama, uh, back, back, to, <laughs> back to Italian food, back to everything I know. And then after that, I moved to Nuremberg, which is my actuality. So I understand that when you're in Brussels, it sort of just happened that you were in this Italian community. It sounds like in Rotterdam, you stumbled into it, but ended up really liking that. At what point did it become clear to you that it wasn't just coincidence that you're finding Italian people, Italian food, Italian life, but really something that was important to you as you create home in all of these different places. Tied to what I said at the beginning, which is Italy is home and it's my heritage. And subconsciously, everywhere I go, my heritage follows. And somehow I apply it without even willing. It's not me moving to a new city and seeking a Facebook page that says Italians in Nuremberg. It's really just me going with the exploration and always just wanting to remember that there's that one thing, at least, that I find in my town by exploring it here and there that I can always say, oh, yes, this is my spot where I can go and forget that I'm in the country that I am. Not because I hate it, because that's not how I am. I'm very open, but because I do want to go back in time a few times and just feel like I'm back where my home is. And in Nuremberg, I found my spot as well. But there's obviously another step that I forgot. There's another city that I went to during pre-COVID, which was I went to a short-term assignment through the company I work for, which is Adidas. They sent me to Shanghai in China. And that was the, the time where I, I really got the confirmation. Everywhere I go, I somehow end up finding Italy. And it's maybe subconscious. I can't tell you to do it purposely. It's just subconscious. It's you bump into an Italian by chance. You ask a few questions and boom. <laughs> How did that happen in Shanghai? Because that city is just huge and so densely populated i am intimidated by just the thought of it so how did you find your happy little place within that big giant metropolis via sports actually so i'm a big fan of football i guess for you it would be soccer <laughs> so not american <laughs> thank you thank you you're welcome <laughs> I, I follow this team called inter and for the english speaking is more inter milan but in Italian is Internazionale. And it's the football team from Milan. Uh, and in China, there's a big presence. And just before flying out, I was having, at the airport, I was having a drink with my father uh, who came to the airport with me. And he said, hey, you know that there should be a big interclub. An interclub is like the fan club of the team that should be in Shanghai because obviously Inter is owned by a Chinese man. And he was like, you should probably maybe hit them up. And I thought, hey, actually that is a good insight. So. I emailed the guy who is the president of the Shanghai Inter Club. A week later, I ended up on a Wednesday night at 3 a.m. because obviously time zone difference and whatnot to watch a Champions League match between Inter Milan and, Bo and I think it was Borussia Dortmund back then. And uh, it was in this Italian-owned place in Shanghai, by, owned by an Italian guy 
only Italians were coming there at 3 a.m. And suddenly it's like, I'm not in China anymore. There's not even an Itali- a Chinese employee <laughs> and I'm drinking Negroni, which is an Italian aperitive at 3 a.m. The day before work. Well, actually three hours before work. Oh my goodness. And it was it was great. It was like, wow, I'm in Italy again a week later. <laughs> that sounds so fun, um, but a little bit wild to be doing that on a school night. Uh, first of all, it was my first week, so I was jet lagged. Second of all, after that, I, it was like a tradition. We'd go to sleep at 8, 9 p.m. the day before and wake up at 2, take the taxi, morning coffee there. But that time I was jet lagged, so I took myself on a groni. And did you sustain that the whole time you were there? This was your Italian community? I did not miss a single match. Wow. And, uh, you know, match it. Most of the football games were on Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So when it was Friday, Saturday, it was perfect. Because, you know, Friday after work, you'd go for a drink. Then it's 2 a.m. on Saturday and the game is on because it's 6 p.m. in Europe. That sounds more durable. The other ones, that sounds so stressful. I think I would need just like a giant tub of caffeine in whatever form. <laughs> and that, that's a great thing. Like whenever I went there, I would, the motivation was it was the only place in China or in Shanghai at least that I knew I would have amazing coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also the interesting side of it. If you're not in Italy for that long and in China, you know, you're not, you don't find European or Western cuisine as much. When I would be going there, and I can probably, if if you ask me now, if I if I go to Italy and I get a Negroni made from the guy in Shanghai versus the one in Milan, for sure the one in Milan would taste better. But because I couldn't have that benchmark, for me, that Apero Spritz was the best one in town and the best one I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was also going to be one of my questions is on this quest for Italy, how many terrible quote-unquote Italian meals did you have along the way? Places where you're like, okay, I'll try it. It's supposed to be Italian. And then you go in and you're like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, God. Uh, in Nuremberg, quite a few. There is a few spots now I found. There is obviously this restaurant, which is exactly the same experience as the one in Rotterdam, where it's my family. And anything else, whenever they propose, I'm like, I'm even too scared to try because I've tried so many here. <laughs> and I know that this one is the one. But in China, zero, because obviously... If it's Italian, it's Italian. <laughs> but in Netherlands, also way too many. You know, that's actually funny. I would have thought it would be flipped that these places that are geographically much closer to Italy and have maybe a higher chance of being able to import certain products or what have you, that they would actually have better quality Italian food. Somewhere like China would have a harder time just given the distance. But no, it's it's swapped. So it, it, I've asked actually about that. And the importing game is pretty pretty strong and a difficult one as well so the italian guy that owned the bar which was called Funk, is still called funcadeli in italy so the name obviously needs to attract everybody not just italians and it's primarily a bar but it had food and it was all imported from italy and he was telling me that his mom from italy would obviously grow everything would prepare and stack it up sort it out and send it to his bar and i was that was just like i thought that's a sustainable way of getting your stuff. <laughs> but hey, the business model worked. So yeah, hey, and then Nuremberg happened. And how did you find this one place that's great? And who is your Italian community here? When I moved in here first, I met this Italian colleague, we're in the company bus and we come home and he's my first Italian friend that I got there. And I told you it's always starting like that you meet this one Italian guy and boom, you're in Italy in a second. I feel like Greeks had the same experience like Greeks, as soon as you meet a Greek, boom, you're in Greece again. And you just hang out with Greeks and you go everywhere. And the same is for Italian. I met Andrea. Suddenly he brought me into some of the places that he knew. I started hanging out with the Italian community and the friends that he had. 
but their main Italian heritage I found in Nuremberg. Actually, and I got a shout out to my dad again. <laughs> he he discovered <laughs> it. So my my dad is 100% Italian. Wherever he goes, he, he almost Googles them beforehand to know which spot he should try that knows is an Italian restaurant because he is just super conservative with the food choice. He doesn't want to go for sushi. He doesn't want to go for Indian food. He doesn't want to go anywhere. It's Italian. That's it. So <laughs> when he came, I was like, oh, that's great. So he's going to Google find some spots. It probably will find the same as mine. But he found this one called Padelle d'Italia. I was like, oh, no, never heard of it. And I went there and I have not been to any single other Italian restaurant since. And it's been a year and a half. Commitment. Yeah. <laughs> Love at first bite or sight, whatever <laughs> it might be. <laughs> and I mean... Nuremberg, because of Adidas and a couple other really, really big companies, it's so international. So I imagine there's probably a decent number of Italians around. There are a few, more before than now, and probably also because of COVID and me coming back from China, I didn't have time to mingle as much as I did before. But my my continuity is that I wanted to get the Italian of me separated from work. Me going to this restaurant for a year and a half, I became friends with the owner. I became friends with the, the whole staff. Um, the main guy that I'm friends with is Franco. So if you ever end up in Padella d'Italia and you ask for Franco and you say you're my friend, you get one of the best experiences. Like they love, they really love my father. They really love my family and they love me. I play football with them every Sunday in the morning. So there's obviously a new community that is built outside of work. And it's easy in the Adidas bubble here in Nuremberg to sort of have only Adidas friends. So this for me was a very a good step for me to feel very happy in Nuremberg where I also have something outside. What's interesting to me about all this is how you're presenting this is like, of course I find Italy, Italy is home. And this makes a lot of sense to me. But for me, I have some weird guilt complex about asserting my nationality sometimes, where I feel like maybe this takes away from my integration or makes me stand out in a way that I don't want or I I don't know I, I can't put my finger on exactly why I feel strange about it but I do and I'm wondering if you ever had this or if you've just always been like no of course Italy is great I'm connected to it and I'm going to pursue it not everything about Italy is great of course like I make it sound like it's paradise and a lot of people every time they say oh my god you're from Italy it's so beautiful and would you ever go back and live there and my question is no I would not actually want to live there not everything is obviously perfect about Italy. Food is great. And that's where I think it's always like the starting point for me. I'm always open to everything. And that's why I love continuing going everywhere, learning new cultures, learning the new of everything and trying to always keep also the status quo with me so that I can change from one to the other anytime I want. And I think it's interesting that you say this about yourself as well. Whenever I meet Americans, I always love for them to sort of try and and keep on going with their lifestyles. Like it's Taco Tuesday, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, Thanksgiving, it's uh, it's uh, Super Bowl night. Uh, McDonald's is part of your culture. I'm not a big fan of McDonald's. I, I obviously don't go there, but they bring that excitement. And if that excites you, then you know go for it. And I, it's exactly how I do it. I keep on doing the way I am. Uh, I want to go for Italian food. I'm always going to be late because in my time zone. I'm always early, <laughs> but at the same time, just living and coping with how it is to be in Germany. I think maybe it might help you is just following the way you would want to, the way the things that you did at home, instead of thinking, oh, but now you can't do it in Germany, then, you know, trying to find a way how to make it happen. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have carried a lot of my traditions and, and culture over with me, but I, 
I do actually what you're saying you do in Nuremberg where I keep this very fragmented. Like I I do this in my private time with my people. I'm only more recently trying to to do things like for Thanksgiving last year, I brought some homemade pies into the workplace and shocked my coworkers mm-hmm. with the fact that pumpkin can be a sweet because to them it's just a vegetable for savory dishes um, and little things like that where I'm trying to bridge that gap a little bit. But, you know, when I moved here, I was really focused on learning the language and becoming integrated enough to pursue my career that I really tried to sort of compartmentalize my background because what I needed to focus on is where I was. But now that I'm more secure in, in Germany, I can speak German, and I'm, I've got my feet underneath me, now it feels more safe to start bringing these elements in. But it's been, it's been a journey, and I've definitely felt shame. And I, I've heard other people say this too, where they feel like they don't, quote unquote, have enough local friends. They feel, they feel bad about having mostly friends from their home country or friends that are also international. And they feel like they should be, for whatever reason, befriending more, in this case, Germans. So in your case, do you, of course, you speak German and I, you also work in a very German setting and environment. Do you, do you have that as well? Do you have more American friends or international friends than locals? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But also, I mean, the Germans make it challenging on their own. Like they find it hard to befriend Germans too, because <laughs> Germans have their friends from high school in their village 20 minutes away that they still spend all their time with and they're not really like open to new friends because they take friendship very seriously. So, you know, it is hard to break in. And so just by nature of that, plus by nature of my personal background in, in Freiburg, I've I've definitely got more American friends. But, you know, it's funny is I've actually started doing this thing recently where if people in public, so at work or um, grocery store or something like that, try to ask me, um, they hear my accent in German and they try to ask me where I'm from or just switch to English, but not because they think that we can't communicate otherwise, but because they want to show that they could tell I'm an English speaker. I just shut them down and I pretend I don't know what the heck they're talking <laughs> about. Entschuldigung, huh? <laughs> and I don't know. It's a whole new era. I don't know what I'm. I don't know what I'm doing with that. But yeah, I don't know. Do you do any of these games? It, it's often <laughs> it happened to me in the Netherlands as well, and I found that similarity too. As you're trying to practice or you're trying to make the effort of speaking the language, like there is this saying that. Whenever you go to Paris in France and you don't speak French, people are like, then why did you move to Paris <laughs> if you don't even speak French? And I was like, okay, let's do not the same mistake in, jo- in Dutch and in German. And you try and then they can sense that you're not from there. So they just switch to English. And you're like, dude, <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> let, me, let me respond to me. <laughs> no, no, of course, I'm making it sound worse. But no, but my question to you actually would be like, because Taco Tuesday is such an American thing and I got to love it. And I only learned it here. I never knew about Taco Tuesdays. That's something you do. And how many Germans did you convert to to follow it? <laughs> um, it's tough to convert them to things like that. The Mexican cuisine is very confusing to them. Like I have a friend who works at a American Mexican restaurant in town, and for instance, they do have Taco Tuesday. They have they have Margarita Mittwoch, so Margarita huh. Wednesday. And then they also they serve burritos, right? And in America, they serve burritos in foil, and it's food you eat with your hands. And the Germans cannot comprehend this. They don't enjoy that. And so um, this restaurant had to start unwrapping the burritos and serving it with a fork and knife and placed on a plate. And then the Germans get upset because they're like, the burrito's falling apart. It's so hard to eat. And my friend's like, yeah, because you're supposed to eat it in foil, but you won't. So converting Germans to American Mexican food traditions has been unsuccessful in my own personal experience. <laughs> 
Interesting, because uh, I was asking, because that's exactly what I try to do as I'm here. I'm trying to bring my English friends, my my German friends, my American friends to Padella d'Italia, the restaurant here, to sort of tell them, hey, this is uh, the experience of how it is to be in Italy. You're stepping foot into Italy, and then when you exit, you realize you're back to Nuremberg. And it really is that feeling. Every time I, somebody comes with me, they're like, my God, the experience, people are so chilled, so open. They have conversation with you. Like, who talks to the waiter? Like, the waiter sits with us and he's having the coffee with, with us. And that's, to them, is a lot of people when they come, it's, like, it's peculiar. They're, they're not used to that. But this is exactly the social vibe and the social life that in Italy happens. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to Italy. I have, yeah, a couple times. Uh, where, where have you been? Um, I spent a month in Spoleto, and then I've been to Bologna, Rome, Sorrento, Ooh. Florence a couple times. Sorrento. Venice. In Sorrento, you might have experienced exactly that. I don't know if you did, but probably they recognized that you were also foreigners and they were a bit more eager to try and speak to you. Well, so Sorrento proper was, I went in September, it was, was more foreigners visiting than hmm than locals it just felt i don't know it felt for me like really crowded somehow and so we ended up going to eat mostly at this place like just over the town border where it was a little bit more calm and they were um i mean all the people were just incredibly nice but there it felt like they actually just wanted to talk to you whereas i think in sorrento my experience was like they feel like they had to be very friendly to make the tourists like them you know i say that a lot about people that tell me oh yeah i've been to italy i went to riva del garda in garda lake uh, which is in the north and I keep on saying, man, guys, that's that's not the best Italian experience you can get from there. And I'm not dissing the Garda Lake because I've been there myself. And I think I think it's very beautiful. And it's very nice. But because there is a big presence of Germans, Austrians and Dutch, there is obviously a need for the restaurants to be a little bit more reactive because there's different expectations and then prices can also go higher and the culture of offering something like hey, the, the digestivo, which is whenever you get a limoncello. We call it digestivo, which is after food. And you take that. It's a liquor. Usually it's either limoncello, it's grappa, or it might be sambuca or cognac. And you use it to digest. And that's why it's called digestivo, digestive. And uh, usually that's offered in the house. And you can have two or three because they know that you've just spent as much as you wanted. And you are, you are going to be a recurring customer. But that you don't get there. And not just that. You don't, you don't get the, hey, you know what? Tonight we'll do something just special for you because I know you like truffle. Although it's not in the menu today, I'll do it for you for the same price as this. Is that okay? And you're like, yeah, of course. You don't get that at Riva del Garda. And that's because it's being crowded by, by, by tourists. And it's also a spot that is very accessible. So it's recurrent. And these recurrent tourists have specific demands and they're always on the move. And probably Sorrento is the same. Uh, they, you probably experience the same thing. Yeah, so you do try to bring Germans or other internationals, like friends of yours, into your personal Italy. It sounds like through bringing them to this restaurant, do you ever do things like try to celebrate one of your traditions or holidays with non-Italians? Interesting question, actually, because so there's not as many holidays as you guys have in America. We're, we're obviously a Christian country. So a lot of the festivities, if you are religious and if you're a Christian or Catholic, sorry, the discussion is that you celebrate the specific saint of the day and we have a saint per day which is not what I do and we do not necessarily celebrate, but you go you go and say, if it's your name day, for example, St. Claudio, I would get a message in August saying, hey, happy Saint, happy name day. Did you pray today and this and that? But no, uh, any celebration or holiday, for example, Christmas is done with the family directly. 
for America, for example, Thanksgiving, yes, like I go with my American friends, but I don't have an Italian day that is replicated in the same way. The only one you do is Santo Stefano, which is St. Stephen, which is on the 26th of December, the day after Christmas. And probably globally, everybody knows that's a holiday day, which is called Second Christmas. But for us, is Santo Stefano, which is also the name of my brother. So it's a special name day. But it's also an important day that succeeds for Christmas as well. And that's something that we celebrate. But there is no different way that we do it globally. The only difference is what we do on Christmas. So you guys, you probably have a different menu, a different agenda when it comes to Christmas Day than we do. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's also a tricky balance between being like, oh, it's fun to share my traditions with new people versus also, oh, but I... I do want to celebrate it my way. I don't know if you've celebrated German Christmas before, but it's very specific. And it's, I don't know, I I think for a lot of foreigners, it's a little hard to get on that level because it's just real chill. It's really back, a really great meal. And then like sitting around, sorry, in my my perspective (laughs) compared to my Christmas. And yeah, I don't know. Have you, have you had that? The way you describe (laughs) it reminds me of the Christmas I had in the Netherlands. And I've had it twice. Uh, with two different girlfriends and it was very mellow chilled laid back you quickly open presents you say thank you and then boom it's no it's like any other day <laughs> and i don't want to diss any tradition of course i i so i'm not going to even qualify it as sad it's everybody does it the way they do it was just for me that day though i felt so excited and I tried to put more energy into it but i couldn't understand because for me it's like it's so much bigger christmas is a moment of family, a moment of celebration, and maybe it's a little bit forced, but that's the way I was grown. And I exa- so the way you just described the vibe and the feeling of like very laid back and chilled, you have a dinner like it's no other day, uh, maybe with an extra bottle of wine because it's Christmas. That's it. <laughs> uh, well, for us, it's like spumante with champagne uh, at 10 a.m. with caviar. Okay, vegetarian now, so caviar obviously is not part of my menu caviar then you have like a whole set up a menu with the whole family you'll sit there you exchange presents every hour really thankful you try those presents on the spot and it it, it just continues uh it just doesn't stop there i want to come to your christmas that sounds so fun actually <laughs> actually a lot of my closest friends they love my mom and i always loved bringing some of my closest friends that i traveled around in the world when my mom comes i'm like you guys gotta come to my place she's gonna cook But the best part, when I was broke and I didn't really have my own place and I was still a student, I was always going back to Brussels to visit my mom. And I would always take one or two friends. The reason why is like, you're going to experience what it is to walk into Italy, but in Brussels. And I always told my mom, you should open a restaurant, stop working. Her cuisine is just, whoa, unique. And two times where friends of mine would invite their parents and come to my to my place. And they always know. And they would always love whenever I said, hey, my mom is in town. Oh, my God, is she going to cook for us? And <laughs> it's really that. You know, if you want to celebrate Christmas, she's more than happy to always have people because she loves cooking. And now she's probably listening to this and she'd be like, no, man, <laughs> don't invite no more people. <laughs> Well, here's the question. Has she taught all of these things to you so that you can start making them yourself, even if she's not able to come visit or something? There's a rule that I think is embedded into the DNA of Italians, which is you cannot correct your mom in the kitchen. You cannot be participative. So yeah, she has taught me a few things, but I can only do them when she's not present because she will continuously correct it, saying that I don't do it with the (laughs) love that she puts. Uh, And it's the same with grandmas. It's like it it follows... uh, a, 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 what's it called the tree of life and when grandmas are cooking the mom is seen nowhere <laughs> but this is really it's really true my last memory of attempting anything for my mom 
I did actually cook for her something that was because obviously now that I turned to vegetarian, it's a bit more complex for my mom to know what to cook. So I cooked something for her that was out of her culinary book. And but that, that's like a once in a lifetime experience. In general, <laughs> the in two, like a few years ago, I remember I tried to cut the mozzarella. And it's such a simple thing. I'm cutting mozzarella. It's not so difficult. But the way I cut it was troubling her. She's like, oh, you're wasting too much of the small little pieces. You're too fast. You got to go slower. Now it's big chunks. <laughs> you ruined it. Oh, what the hell? And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. If you can't do the mozzarella, then there's no way she's going to let you do anything for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it is time to round the corner and head to home. So I'm going to hit you with the ending segment, which is called Zack, Zack, Zack. It is a rapid fire question round where I ask you three questions that you answer without thinking it, overthinking it. Just go with your gut. Are you ready? Sounds like an interview. Let's go. <laughs> so, re- job ready. Let's go. What is your favorite item from Italian culture to consume? Drink. I said Negroni. My favorite. Totally recommend. In terms of food, Pappardelle uh, al Tartufo, which is a type of different spaghetti and then Tartufo is truffle. Who is the best football player of all time ever? Cristiano Ronaldo. And if you could send people to one place in Italy that's just the best that they have to experience, where would you send them? To my hometown in Monguzzo. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I brought my two best friends there and I told them you got to just experience the area of the lakes there. And that really definitely changed their perspective of simplicity of life. Yeah, man. All those sheeps and cows. That sounds great. Cows are my favorite animal. I get over the moon when I see them. For so real? I'm Yeah, I'm sold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Fair I think they're enough. great. There you go. Like local milk and obviously off the mountains and it's it's really beautiful. And Wonderful. Wow. What a great place to be from, man. You're, you're a lucky fellow. I appreciate it. I, I got to thank my parents. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming onto the show and talking to me about how you find Italy everywhere. If people want to hear more from you, follow along, where can they find you? They, there's two things. So they can obviously follow me on Instagram. I'm a, I'm a global traveler. I mean, not now, but you can find me on Instagram and you can follow me on It's Claudio Cordy. Otherwise, I just started myself uh, podcasting and, and I'm doing it with a, with a friend of mine. And it's about connecting with people around the world. And it's called the Global Brothers Podcast. So you can also find me there if you want to exit a little second. That's so cool. Welcome to the podcasting world. Thank you. Thank you. Grazie, danke. And thanks for coming on the show. Grazie mille. <laughs> Thanks again to Claudio for coming onto the show. I've linked to his Instagram in the show notes and to the Instagram for his latest project, which is called Zero Waste Stories Official. Go ahead and give him a follow there. And while you're at it, you can also follow The Expat Cast on Instagram at The Expat Cast or on Twitter also at The Expat Cast. Very creative over here, aren't we? You can also find us online at theexpatcast.com. There's a contact form there if you want to reach out. I always love hearing from people. As said at the top, what's important to me is community and I want to keep building it. On the website, you can also leave a rating and a review. You can also do that on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser, all of which really helps this show grow, reach new audiences, reach new ears. On Thursday, I'll be back in your feeds with an episode with Tanya from Swahili Secrets. She tells us all about what it's like to be a Kenyan living in Germany and how her various expat identities have played into establishing a really special and interesting career path for herself in her current home of Frankfurt. Until then, have a wonderful week. Stay healthy and stay safe. Bis dann. Tschüss.